Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Psalm 23 reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we dig into this very familiar passage of your word, we we pray, Lord, that you would um, make our hearts good soil for the gospel. Lord, even as your son taught that there are different types of hearts, there are hearts that are stony ground, there are hearts that have weeds that choke out the word, there are hearts in which the evil one comes and snatches the word away. But we pray, Lord, that you would give everyone in this room hearts that are good soil for the gospel, that as we hear the good message of your covenant love for us through your son Jesus, that we would rejoice in it, that we would receive it fully, and that it would bear much fruit. Lord, I pray for marriages that are here and for parents, for kids, for people at every stage of life, and we know, Lord, that We need you. We need the gospel to deeply transform the way we think about everything. And Lord, that's something only you can do. That's not something a well-crafted message does. That's something your spirit does, raising the dead to life, or taking those who are alive and hardened and giving them soft hearts again. Lord, we all need this. It says in this passage that you restore our souls. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that work here through the preaching of your word, through worship, through the taking of the Lord's Supper, through our fellowship and using our gifts together. We pray, Lord, restore our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a very familiar psalm. You guys have all heard it. You guys, many of you know it by heart. And one of the hindrances of getting everything the Lord has for us in this psalm is just that. It's so familiar. You know, it would be so easy to just gloss over it, have some vaguely religious feelings, right? Some positive, vaguely religious feelings, and then have it not do what it's intended to do. It's intended to give us radical courage, radical confidence in the Lord. The other hindrance of Psalm 23, I think more to popular culture, is that it's often associated with death. In a movie, if there's a scripture read during a funeral, it's this passage. And so a lot of us have kind of put it in the category of this is a funeral psalm. But if you look at it carefully, guys, this psalm is not about dying. It's about living. It's about living with the absolute confidence that the Lord is all we need. Take a look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Want there means to have a need, to, to lack. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's really what this whole psalm is about. It's all summed up in that first verse. And there could even be a therefore there. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Therefore I have everything I need. Guys, the Lord is really everything we need. 
the 4th century African bishop Augustine, he said this, He who has God has everything, even if he has nothing else. Amen? He who has God has everything, even if he has nothing else. And he who has everything but not God has nothing. And he who has God plus everything else has nothing more than he who had God alone. Amen? And this kind of goes back to that sentence we used last week to diagnose our idols. I know my life will be worth living if only I have blank. And we were looking at anything you put in there besides the Lord is your idol. And this, this psalm tells us, guys, that all we need to know our life is worth living is to have the Lord. He is the only thing we need. David uses this image of a shepherd because shepherds would give everything the sheep need, right? Everything the sheep need would come from the shepherd. But get this, guys. The Lord meets all our needs because he is all we need. The Lord is not like the dispenser of blessings that we need. The Lord is the blessing we need, right? This psalm talks about how he gives us rest and courage and hope. But I want you guys to understand, he doesn't give us rest and courage and hope separate from himself as if he dispenses injections of it or he hands it out in little baskets. He gives courage and rest and hope in himself. Because we have him, we have that. He is our rest. He is our courage. He is our hope. If we have him, we have everything we want. And we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is our shepherd and he gives us rest. Take a look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The author of this psalm is David, of course, and King David was a shepherd. In fact, a lot of our people were shepherds. You can think of Abel was a shepherd, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and here David were all shepherds. And one thing David knows as a shepherd is he knows that sheep only lie down when they feel really well-fed and they feel secure. They're well-fed and they're secure, then they'll lay down. You guys know, you guys have probably heard this before, but sheep are some of the most defenseless, you know, vulnerable, high-maintenance creatures that you could possibly have. Like if you had a dozen cattle and you found a nice grassy pasture somewhere and you put your cattle out there for six months, you come back, they're probably still there. And they're probably fine. There may be more of them, right? You put your sheep out in a pasture for six hours and leave, they're probably dead. They're probably all dead. I'm a horse veterinarian and I don't work on sheep uh, generally. The only time I work on sheep is when they've been chewed up by dogs. Lots of fun, right? You're putting them back together, suiting them back together. They are extremely vulnerable. This good shepherd here, he supplies both green pastures and, and still waters. He knows that if his sheep are well watered and they're well fed, that they're going to lay down, they're going to kind of get in some shade, they're going to relax, they're going to sit there and maybe chew their cud a little bit, you know, and just enjoy the shade. There are echoes of Exodus here, guys. Um, one thing that's really neat about this is there are some echoes of Exodus. And what do I mean by that? Where when he talks about still waters, it literally is waters of resting place. It's waters of rest. When the Lord brought Israel up out of Egypt, he brought them up to the promised land, which Psalm 95 says was his rest. He wanted them to enter his rest. That's what the promised land was about. And there's a, another echo of Exodus here in verse 1 when he says, I shall not want. It sounds a lot like what Moses said about how the Lord shepherded his people in the wilderness. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 2. He says, these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. 
right? He took care of them. The Lord led his people through the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land as a shepherd in the wilderness. And he led them very personally. Remember, he went out in front of them and they followed him. They literally followed him as a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And just like a shepherd, he actually like lived with them. That's the thing about shepherds is, you know, they don't clock out and leave. They live with their sheep and he would live with them in his tent, his tabernacle. He camped out with them. And remember, he provided them water from a rock. He provided them manna from heaven. The Lord is the good shepherd who took his people in the exodus to the promised land. And the Lord has led us on an exodus as well. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the, the Bible speaks of what Christ has done as an exodus as well. That God has led us in a greater exodus from a far worse Egypt to a far better promised land. He freed us from slavery, not to Pharaoh, but to sin and uh, Satan. And he freed us not by the blood of some mere animal, but by the blood of Jesus, who is the true Passover lamb. And, and as we were led out of that, that bond, house of bondage of Satan and sin, and, and, and we were freed by the blood of the true Passover lamb, Jesus, we, like the Jews, passed through water, not the Red Sea, but the waters of baptism. And now we're being led through the wilderness by our good shepherd to the greater promised land. Along the way, he gives us Sabbath rest. Along the way, he feeds us with his word and through the Lord's Supper. And he refreshes us with the water of his spirit. And so he is the good shepherd of his people. Look at verse 2 again. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The Lord himself, guys, is the soul-restoring rest that we need in the wilderness. Amen? Like he is the only one that can refresh us, refuel us, right? Refocus us and put us back on the path we should be on for his glory. Guys, we all need soul-restoring rest every single day. And I think this is something that in our age of distraction, in our age of so many things we could be doing, so many things we could be looking at, so many things we could be listening to, I want to ask you, do you let the Lord, your shepherd, give you rest every day? You know? You say, well, I'm busy. That's not the real issue, actually. I'm positive. I'm positive there is a time in every 24-hour cycle when, when the Lord could give you rest. Do you turn to him for that? Do you let him make you lie down in green pastures? You know, as a well-cared-for sheep, do you graze on his word? Do you refresh yourself in the still waters of his spirit in solitude and in prayer? Do you let him cause you to lie down and rest? Like a sheep, do you, do you graze on God's word and then do you just like sit back and do you just like chew the cud? You guys familiar with that? Talked about this before. But ruminants, when they eat a bunch of stuff and then they go to hang out, what happens? They regurgitate it back up into their mouth so they can chew it some more. I don't know if you guys have seen this. All of a sudden, it's like, what's he eating? You know, <laughs> he's eating his food from before. And, and that's what we do in the Word. We graze on the Word, and then we find a place to sit and to chew it over, to meditate on it, to turn it around in the mouth of our souls. You know, if a soul has a mouth, they can chew on this and meditate on this. Do you refresh yourself by still waters? Do you drink deeply of His Spirit and enjoy His presence? You know, in prayer and in silence. Guys, our souls need constant restoring. Our souls are easily disordered, aren't they? You guys feel it? How quick will this last? Your, your soul is likely to be very well ordered at the end of this. You're going to be like, I'm good. Let's do this. This is, this is the way I should always feel, right? How long does it last? Our souls, guys, like, like a violin, like a delicate violin that's being kind of bumped around and traveled, needs to be retuned constantly. We constantly need the Lord 
to restore our souls, to retune our souls. And guys, no one but him can give you the rest and restoration you need. We turn to all kinds of things, right? We medicate with screens, don't we? I just need some time to relax. We medicate with screens. We medicate with substances. We medicate with recreation, even with sleep. None of that actually restores your soul. Only the Lord can do it. And I'm so amazed, guys. I'm so amazed by what the Spirit can do with 30 minutes and a Bible and just some focus. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing. You can sit. You can read God's Word. You can pray through God's Word. You can just meditate on God's Word. And in 30 minutes, your soul can be a totally different soul. It's so amazing. It's like, it's so crazy that we don't more often turn to Him and let Him restore our souls to get us back on the path of righteousness. Like That's available for us any time and we don't take it. We should take it. This part reminds me of, um, how many of you guys have read Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, how many of you guys are saved? That should be the same people. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Pilgrim's Progress, if you haven't read it and you're a believer, it'd be really great to read. So it's, it's John Bunyan, maybe 400 years old, and he writes about the journey of the Christian life. The guy's name is Christian, runs into a bunch of people. All their names are obvious. There's a guy named Hopeful, he's hopeful. There's a guy named, you know, a Liar, and he lies. You know, it's very obvious. But it's an allegory of the Christian life, and it's really cool. There's a part in here that really reminds me of this, and it's, it's the Delectable Mountains. You guys remember the Delectable Mountains? So the Delectable Mountains, Christian and his Christian friend Hopeful are cruising along. They're on their way to the celestial city. They're walking to the true promised land, and on the way, they come to a place called the Delectable Mountains, and Delectable Mountains are like this grassy pasture that's up in a mountain, where the, the Lord has set some shepherds to care for weary travelers. So these are believers, the weary on the path, you know, following the Lord. And they'll stop at this place called the Delectable Mountains. And it's a high pasture. And because it's high, they can look down and they can see the lay of the land, the lay of Christian life. And they can see like the path of destruction. And they can see people going down that, you know. And they can look over here and they can see the path to the celestial sea. They can see the right path and the wrong path. And what's really cool is there's a place where those shepherds, have a, like a telescope where the weary travelers can look through it and see the celestial city a little bit. They can just peek out and see a little bit of the world to come. Guys, that's what we do as a church, right? We could call it Delectable Mountains Church, yeah? We give weary travelers, and I don't say we just in me, we all, y'all, we all give weary travelers on the way to the promised land a place of rest a place to feed, a place to see the right and the wrong path, and a glimpse of the world to come. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a great vision for what we do when we gather? That's what all of you guys are doing when you gather here, is, is providing that. It says in verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So the Lord is our shepherd. His presence restores our soul. Secondly, the Lord, our shepherd, is our courage. Take a look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So we saw that the Lord is our rest. This shows us that the Lord is our courage. And he uses two images here. Did you see them? There's an image of a valley, and there's an image of a feast. First, let's look at the image of the valley. It's in verse 4. He says, even though, okay, this is a, this is a change of mood, right? You had your peaceful waters, you had your green pastures, and then there's a change of scenery here, right? We're moving into a dark valley. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
Now, that's probably not where you expected the paths of righteousness to lead you, right? I think a lot of us, there's an underlying health, wealth, prosperity thing that just all American Christians kind of have a little bit of. And it's like, if I'm on the path of righteousness, then I am not to ever go through the valley of the shadow. <laughs> it ought to all be green pastures, right? It ought to all be good, smooth sailing. But guys, adversity does not mean you're on the wrong path. The paths of righteousness often lead through this valley, the valley of the shadow. Your shepherd, maybe even now, has led you in a place you don't expect. He's led you into a valley. The things about valleys is valleys are dark places, right? This word for darkness could be shadow of death, as our Bibles say it, or deep darkness. This is a word that there's 20 occurrences or 19 occurrences of this in the Old Testament. Half of them are in the book of Job. It gives you an idea of what this deep darkness is like. Guys, valleys were dangerous places. They were the most dangerous places for a traveler, ancient traveler, ancient traveler on the road. Most dangerous place was the valley because the valley is a, it's an enclosed space, right? Where you're kind of trapped in, you're boxed in. It was a place where threats could hide. Thieves would hang out there. Like, where are they going to get you? Not on the plane. They're going to wait for you in the valley, right? They're going to hang up on the ridges above the valley waiting to swoop down on the poor travelers. So you find the Lord, your shepherd, has led you into a valley. It's dark. There's lingering danger. Let me ask you this. If you're in that valley right now or you think about that valley to come, what's on those dark ridges that you're afraid of? You know, what is it that you worry about waiting for you in that valley, the valley of the shadow of death? And once again, we're not talking about dying, right? We're talking about times of darkness. We're talking about times of difficulty. What do you fear there? What do you think is going to ambush you there? What are you most afraid to lose? What do those thieves in the valley threaten to take from you? It's worth thinking about. And what's really great about this passage is, if you're in Christ, whatever that threat is you imagine, you can say with David, I will fear no evil. That is amazing. Isn't that amazing? I will fear no evil. Why? For the Lord, for Lord, you are with me. Isn't that great? Gosh, if we could just get that. I will fear no evil, for you, Lord, are with me. Notice that he didn't say the Lord gives me courage, as if he's dispensed something to me. And I'm like, I'm a pretty courageous person. The Lord's given me a lot of that. And that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about an injection of courage. What is he saying? He's saying the Lord himself is his courage. It's the Lord's companionship that gives us courage. And did you notice something else that changed here? In verses 2 through 3, he, he's talking about the Lord. He says, he a bunch, right? He says in verses 2 through 3, he makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me, right? And then what does he switch to in verse 4? You. You are with me. Isn't that cool? It's like he's not talking about the Lord anymore. He's talking to the Lord. It's gotten a lot more intimate, right? The Lord is right beside him in the valley of the shadow. The Lord was in front of him before in verse to leading him, but now the Lord has come right beside him. And guys, and I think any of you guys who have been Christians for a while can testify to this. That's what the valley of the shadow does, right? That's what the valley of the shadow does. It makes our relationship with the Lord real to us, doesn't it? It makes him real to us. Job had this experience. Remember Job said after all he'd been through, he said about the Lord, he said, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. 
Like there's an intimacy that we have with the Lord when we go through the valley of the shadow. It's no more just talking about him, it's talking to him. He's right beside us, he's not just in front of us. He says here, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for purpose, you are with me. And I think you guys would agree, like, that's a really, really good reason not to be afraid, isn't it? I mean, you think of like reasons to not be afraid. Wouldn't your top reason not to be afraid be that Yahweh, the Lord God, is with you? Do you have a better option? It's amazing, right? That should give us courage, right? It's an amazing reason for you to have courage, to fear no evil, because he is with you. And guys, that's the covenant promise all the way through Scripture. The covenant promise of God to his people who trust in him is, I'll be with you. He said it to Abraham. He says it over and over and over again as he renews his covenant with his people. He says, you'll be my people. I'll be your God. I'm going to be with you. You're going to have my presence to bless you. And what's really cool is our companion here in the shadow, in the valley of the shadow, he's armed. Did you notice that? He's armed. Our companion is armed, which is great. It says, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So this is the Lord God. He's with us. He's our shepherd. He's caring for us, and he's armed. He's armed with two things. You've got a rod, and you've got a staff. The rod that the shepherds would carry was like, um, it was like a stick they had on their belts, and it was for beating away predators. So predator comes, you don't have a gun, you just beat it to death, or beat it until it goes away, right? The shepherd's a, a big deal. The Lord, guys, has this rod to comfort us. He beats away anything from us that won't serve our everlasting good. Amen? He's with you, and no matter what comes upon you, the only thing that's going to be able to come upon you and affect you are things that will be for your everlasting good. He beats away everything else. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that great? He says, we know it. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Or as the Heidelberg summarizes it, all things must work together for my salvation. Isn't that great? All things must work together for my salvation. So this rod that he has, the shepherd beats away anything, any enemies, any difficulties that would not work for our everlasting good. That rod says Romans 8.28 on it, right? And then the other thing he has is a staff, and this would be the walking stick that he has, and I don't know if they had little hooks or not. Probably did. That would be helpful. But he's walking along with his staff. The staff was mainly used, also a defense weapon, but also used for pulling sheep from danger. So sheep are terrible, okay? I just can't discourage you enough from getting into sheep ranching. <laughs> I was listening to that, uh, that classic book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. It, it's kind of excessive, you know, but it was good. It was good. But he's like, yeah, and then, you know, this is like the wool. It has these parasites. And it was like, okay, this is too much. He was like kind of going into a little too much detail. But one of the things I got from it, because he had raised sheep, is just they're constantly trying to die on you. They're like doing stupid things. When I was in veterinary school, I worked in the uh, food animal barn. That's what they called it. This is nice. Huh? So it was the horse area, and there was food animal. And it was like, sorry, guys, you're in the food animal barn. But I was assigned to take care of this sheep and its little baby, its little lamb. And it took me forever to like get the IV catheter in there, and I stitched it in, and I put some tape around it, and I got it on all the right fluids and stuff. And I turned around, I turned back, and you know what its mother was doing? It chewed the IV line right out. I was just like, Ugh, you know. <laughs> I wasn't feeling super compassionate. But that's what they do. They're constantly looking for ways to die on you. And so this staff would be 
for you know, grabbing a sheep that tries to go for a cliff, as they do. Swift moving river, as they do. That's why it says still waters, is they don't swim well and they're going to drown. They fall into pits. They can cast themselves, which that book was saying, like, they can just lay down and turn wrong and end up upside down with their legs flailing. And it's like, oh man, this is crazy, right? But this staff is for correction. That's what the Lord does with us. We're constantly trying to get ourselves into trouble, right? There's constantly ways that we could be going awry. And the Lord uses this staff to correct us. How many of you guys have recently been pulled back from a cliff by the shepherd's staff? Aren't you thankful for that? Isn't that amazing? He says it comforts us. You know, we're super thankful for the Lord's disciplining of us. They, he corrects us, that he, he pulls us back. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. So with the rod, he, he defends you from your enemies. And then with the staff, he defends you from yourself, which is very important as well. But those aren't even the greatest threats, right? I mean, we've got enemies, we've got ourselves. The greatest thing that the shepherd actually defends us from, which is not in this text, but later in the Bible, is our shepherd has ultimately protected us from the penalty of our own sins, right? That our greatest threat, our greatest danger is the penalty of our own sins, that we have sinned against the Lord and that we deserve his, his punishment, we deserve his wrath, and yet he himself has protected us from that. And to do that, he couldn't use his staff and he couldn't use his rod. He had to lay down his own life on the cross. Jesus says this about himself as a shepherd. He says this, I am the good shepherd, which is powerful, by the way. You know, because this being such a beloved psalm of the Jewish people too, when Jesus comes on the scene, he goes, you know Psalm 23? That's me. I am Yahweh, the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Guys, does that seem like a weird verse to you? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's super strange, right? It is not a qualification of the job of shepherd that you give your life for your sheep. In fact, that would not be the best idea. You want to live another day to ranch some more sheep. You can get more sheep, right? But you can't get more you. It wouldn't make any sense for a shepherd to lay down his life for sheep. It's actually a really bizarre thing to do. Why? Because human life is so much more valuable than the life of a sheep. Yet behold, guys, the amazing love of Jesus that he's not just a shepherd dying for a sheep. It's something more infinitely strange that God himself became a man to die for us sinners. That should blow our minds. It should blow our minds as much as a verse that says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You're like, no, that's excessive. How much more excessive is it that God himself would become a man to lay down his life for our sins? On the cross, Jesus Christ took our place for our sins to defend us to the greatest danger that we face, the judgment our sins deserve. So in the cross, guys, we were saved by God. God himself became a man. We were saved by God. We were saved from God. This judgment that we fear would be from God. We're saved by God, from God, for God so that he could be our shepherd. He laid down his life for us so that he could have us as his beloved children, as his sheep. Now, guys, we have reason to fear no evil, not even the evil that, that our sins deserve. The Lord is our courage. And courage isn't something he gives us apart from himself. We'll fear no evil because he's with us. Now, there's a second image here, and this is a really fun one. It's in verse 5, and it's the feast. Look at the feast in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
My cup overflows. So this is actually a change of image. A lot of times we think Psalm 23 is entirely about the shepherd image. This is actually the image changed here. So the Lord went from a shepherd to a host. We went from sheep to guests, and we're at his table. It's as if the Lord says to his sheep who become people, come to my table. You know, come and join me at my table. And notice the weird surroundings. What's in our surroundings that seems a little odd for this dinner party? The enemies, right? Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord prepares this feast for us, not after all our enemies are gone, but in the very presence of our enemies. And I love this. And actually, in the providence of God, I needed this this week. I have felt so embattled. Have you felt embattled? Just like on every front? You like, at some point, you laugh and you go like, okay, this is too many. Like, this is getting obvious. You know, like, this is like, this is a strange amount of embattlement. I love this because we tend to think that our joy in the Lord is like a delicate, shy thing, right? It's a delicate, shy thing so that it vanishes at the first sign of trouble. You know, that your joy in the Lord is a very delicate thing. You've got to really protect it from any problems. You don't want to see any problems. You don't want to be near any problems because it'll just, like, run away, be gone. We can often talk like that when we think about Sunday morning. You know, we'll pray that the Lord will help us to, like, forget our problems so we can focus and enjoy the Lord. You ever feel that way on the way? Lord, just help me to forget my problems, you know, so that I can really focus and enjoy you. Guys, that's escapism. That's not Psalm 23. That's escapism. That's forgetting that the Lord is bigger than our problems. Actually, this passage shows us that we could come in here and we could take all our problems and arrange them around the walls here, even put them on the stage, and we could worship just the same. Isn't that amazing? He makes a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. You know, we can feast with the Lord in the midst of our enemies because we know that all those enemies are actually defeated. So what do you mean defeated? Well, think about it. Think about all the, the, the problems you have, all the difficulties you have. Do you guys realize we're not taking any of those with us to the world to come? Like every one of those things is defeated. Every one of those things is, is defeated and soon to vanish. In the world to come, when we're resurrected in a new world, none of those problems you fear are coming with us. And so you can look at those enemies, you can look at those problems, you can look at those difficulties and know that they're defeated and soon to vanish. This feast is, is actually the Lord himself. You know, you think about a feast, and if somebody invites you for table fellowship, they're not just sharing their food and their drink, right? What are they sharing? They're sharing themselves. That's what the Lord does for us. Like right in the midst of tribulation, he wants us to come and taste and see that he's good. And our problems are no hindrance to that. In fact, he is, he's more than capable of outshining everything we fear. That's something that we do every week when we take the Lord's Supper. We're feasting with the Lord. We're receiving a covenant meal with him where he assures us that all is well and that he is better. Isn't that awesome? I just love this. This is my favorite verse in the whole thing. You know, he sets up for you like a banquet in the battlefield. You know, like you're out in the battlefield, you're, you're slogging it through, you're, you're dealing with your temptation, you're dealing with your tribulations, you're dealing with your difficulties, you know, you're, you're fighting on in the power of the Spirit, and then the Lord says, let's have a feast. And you're like, I'm kind of busy right now, you know? And he's like, no, let's just do it right here. I got a table, I got some wine, I got some good food. Let's celebrate. And you're like, what? And he goes, what? This war is good as done anyway. You know, this is, this is good as one. Like, let's feast. And this is even with your enemies still skulking on the ridges of the valley of the shadow, watching you guys eat. 
you know? And he's like, this is going to be fine. Let's take some time to enjoy that this has been won. Guys, our problems are very real. Our problems are very present, but he is more real, more present, and all those problems are defeated. And I just want you to think about today, like, our courage isn't found in the absence of our problems, but in the presence of our God. Amen? So he's our rest. He's our courage. And then lastly, he's our hope. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That sounds pretty confident. That sounds pretty hopeful. So he feels good about this life and the one to come, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like, that's really hopeful. You know, and notice that there's a change of the Lord's position again. So in the pasture, he was out in front of us. He was leading us. And then in the valley of the shadow, he was right beside us. And then we were at a table with him. And then now he's like, you want to just stay at my house? You want to just come live with me forever? Guys, if you're in Christ, you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This, this Old Testament image of the house of the Lord, this was the temple. It wasn't really somewhere that everybody could kind of move in and live. But this is really what it's about is the presence of God. In, in Revelation 21, it says, I saw a new city, and there was no temple in the city, for its temple was the Lord God and the Lamb. That We're going to live in the very visible presence of the Lord and enjoy the presence of the one who loved you so much he laid down his own life for you. And, and David's super confident he's going to make it there. Look again at the end of verse 6. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you have that kind of confidence about your future? Do you? Think about it. Do you have that kind of confidence? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a powerful statement. Can you make that statement? How could he make that statement? It wasn't based on his own worthiness, was it? How could he make such a strong statement? And the reason was, and you can see in verse 6, he could make this powerful statement about his future because he was, um, he was being followed. Check it out. He was being followed. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is a really cool verse because that word follow, that Hebrew word follow, also has the sense of chased, hunted, and pursued. In fact, in the Old Testament, really common use is, is your enemies are pursuing you. They're chasing you. And he's saying that goodness and mercy pursue me, chase me, hunt me all the days of my life. So the Lord goes from in front of us to beside us. And now, in some way, he's behind us. And he's pursuing us. And the two things he's pursuing us with are goodness and mercy. The, the Hebrew word goodness there is tov. But the, the word for mercy is that word we talked about a couple weeks ago, that Hebrew word hased. It's his covenant love. It's the fact that he never stops giving you mercy and grace. He never stops loving you because you're in this covenant relationship with the Lord that he just persistently keeps pursuing you. Isn't that amazing? He chases you with covenant love. I was texting about this with Drew, and we were talking about how if you want to extend the, uh, the metaphor here, the shepherding metaphor, Drew was saying, you know, this is, it's like two sheepdogs behind you. So you got like the shepherd in front of you, he comes beside you in the valley of the shadow. But all your life, he sent his sheepdogs. He said, it's like, it's like two spiritual Australian shepherds named goodness and mercy, nipping at your heels so you arrive safely at home. Isn't that cool? He's chasing us with it. Guys, if you're in Christ, every day the Lord pursues you, he chases you with his covenant love. Why does he chase? 
What do you think? Why does he chase us with it? He chases us with it because we so often resist his grace, don't we? We're so often running from him. It's so strange, you know? We've got this, this shepherd who loves us so much, and he's far more willing to bless us than we are to seek him. Guys, we should stop running. What do you think? Maybe stop running? <laughs> maybe turn around? Maybe, maybe enjoy all that he has for you in Christ? I just want to ask you this morning, have you received the Lord as your shepherd? Can you say very personally, the Lord is my shepherd? Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Have you received his call to rest in him? Have you received his call to receive protection from him? You know, for the, for the consequence of your sin, for, for all of the enemies that you have around. Have you received his call to receive protection? Have you received his call to hope in him? Is he your shepherd? Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Because you found all you want in him. Guys, Jesus is the good shepherd, and he can be your shepherd. If, if you don't know him, if, you have, if you're a sheep without a shepherd, you know, you're lost out there in the world, you don't have the Lord, as you can receive him by simply turning from the path you're on and coming to him today in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so concerned with our rest and our protection and our hope. I pray, Lord, for all of your people here who, who do trust in your son Jesus as their Savior and King, who have turned from their sin to put their whole hope in him. I just pray, Lord, that we would go out with the confidence that the Lord is our shepherd. Whatever problems we face, we don't face alone. He goes with us. You go with us. You care for us. You're concerned for us. You don't walk away and leave on a trip and come back and check and see if we're okay. You're always at our side. We pray that we would lean on you, that we'd rest in you. Father, I pray for those here who are just in this world by themselves. They know it. They feel it. They feel the lack of direction. They feel the lack of knowing what's right, what path is right, what they should do next. They feel the lack of a secure bond of love, a solution for their guilt and their shame, an uncertainty about their future. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here like that, that they would just run to you, Lord. They would take the offer that's free, that you would be their shepherd. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.